Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. There's always money there. Um, The government's always going to pay its bills. Um, You know that it's not going out of business or going away. Um, So it really comes down to, do you want to make a commitment to it? And are you willing to to look at it from a long-term perspective and make sure that you are uh, not expecting immediate returns? Because it does take quite a while and quite a bit of investment to get into the market. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. As many of my listeners know, marketing your solutions and services to government is not as simple as just swapping out words. I think most of you also know that if your business is considering selling into the government, and even more so the defense space, honestly, you need to be prepared to communicate to a unique market that's more mission-driven and has different motivations than the business-to-business market. Today's guest, Alan Rubin, understands this all too well, and I've learned a lot from him except when it comes to choosing which baseball team to root for because he's a Red Sox guy all the way, but he still shows my nationals some love, but I'm lucky to call him a mentor. Thanks for joining the show, my friend. Happy to have you here. Hey, Brian, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, great to be here. So give us a, a quick overview of your career and how you got to OROC. I know you have, uh, you have some B2B background, a lot of B2G background, but why don't you give us a quick overview and then tell us what you're doing over at OROC. Yeah, sure. So um, my background is kind of looks like a bit of a zigzag. Um, and I, I think a lot of people as they uh, get further in their careers, sometimes you look back and you say, how did I get here? Um, in my case, I started out in sales um, and realized very quickly that I was better behind the scenes than I was on the front lines. Uh, sales is kind of a hand-to-hand combat type of approach and marketing to me was a little bit more of developing the messaging, developing the story, enabling and, and you know, handing over the tools that the sales teams needed to be successful. And I found that I was better at the latter um, and, and enjoyed it more and it fit better with my personality. I've always been a, uh, a strong writer and kind of messaging came easy to me. So that kind of drove me towards more of the marketing world. And I I went through um, a couple of different marketing roles on the media side of the world, first in business-to-business trade publishing uh, with a couple of companies doing marketing and some product management. Um, And then when uh, a lot of media companies started to move to the web, I'm dating myself here a little bit, but back in uh, 1999, 2000, um, I was kind of jumping into the web world uh, with both feet as a product manager for a B2B uh, technology portal. Um, And then went to a dot-com startup, which is kind of what you did in those days. 
uh, and then spent four years at AOL. So I really kind of honed a lot of my digital marketing skills uh, back in in that time frame, um, and then kind of had a decision to make of do I want to kind of stay in this digital marketing realm and, and drive my career down that path? Or do I want to be more of a generalist and go into more of a management track? And I actually chose the latter um, and then went to uh, a couple of companies where I was overseeing uh, both business to business and business to government marketing organizations and marketing teams where I had responsibility for that digital marketing, but also demand generation, lead generation, uh, marketing communications, operations, uh, and things like that. So I, I went through a company called ESI International, which was in the training business, uh, then ran marketing at Imix Group, uh, which you and I know each other from those days. Uh, and then Imix Group was purchased in 2015 by Aero Electronics, a big Fortune 120 global IT distributor. So I was a VP of marketing there for enterprise computing solutions. Um, and then back in 2017, um, I decided to go back to the early stage uh, kind of emerging company world. Uh, went to a company called OROC Technologies. Uh, and I, that's where I am right now as chief marketing officer. So one of the things you said in there, uh, I remember when I was at Imix Group, you were uh, I mean, you were formerly a mentor for me in the in a program, but you you mentored me throughout my whole time there. And that was one of the things I remembered about your background was uh, that you started off in sales. And I felt the need to kind of embrace that part of your career and think about it and say, I wonder what what that might have taught him. So I worked with our sales teams a lot to try to understand what value they can bring to me from a marketer. But what would you say your sales background uh, brought you? Well, I think it, it's so important for people in marketing to understand what it's like on the sales side, just the pressure of having numbers to hit. And, you know, sales is very much of a what have you done for me lately culture. You can blow your numbers away one month and then the next month uh, be find yourself in hot water if you're not. Yeah. Right. And so it's a different it's a different mindset. It's a different personality that I found to be really successful. Um, and you being in a marketing role and supporting that organization, the more you understand the way they think and what it's like to be in front of the customer and the, the skepticism and the challenges that the customer puts in front of you, it's the customer's job to find the right product and service or solution fit for what they need and to, to get the best deal for their organization. And of course, it's the sales, uh, the sales team's job to bring in as much business as they can and try to maximize profitability. And so somewhere in the middle is where you have to meet and just kind of understanding how that dance is done and, and what that balance is all about, I think, is just really, really important for, for marketing. It, it you see so many times marketing organizations will produce what they want to produce or what they think is what's needed in the market without necessarily understanding what sales is going through on a day-to-day -day basis and what the customer asks are and what tools the sales team needs to take an opportunity from one phase to the next. So I think just having that understanding and that, that, kind of ingrained focus on the numbers every single day and the revenue and the profitability every single day is just really important from a mindset perspective.
Well, yeah. And then the pr understanding that the, the pressure that they're under, I think oftentimes marketers don't feel that because they're not carrying a quota per se, but it's really, I mean, what I honestly took from it is we're all in the boat together. It's not a, it's not a separation of church and state. It's we're all in the boat together. We're all rowing the same direction. How can I make sure that I'm rowing just as strong as you are? So I'm not letting us down. Right. Yeah, well, we've talked a lot in the past about, you know, sales enablement and marketing and sales enablement and how those organizations need to work together. And it's really important for marketers to understand that, you know, we tend to be at least in the business to government world and business to business. You know, nobody's nobody's logging on to a, a website or, you know, clicking on a link and transacting very often. Right. There's a sales function. These are long, expensive, considered purchases and long sales cycles. And the sales team needs, they have to be enabled and empowered and, um, and have the right tools and the right go-to-market messages and strategies if they're going to be successful over the long term. And if marketing's not thinking about those things along the way and, and what it is that the sales team needs, then neither side is going to be successful. And, and we are really, we're a cost center, right? We we are generally overhead. And if sales doesn't hit their numbers, then it puts our careers at risk. And um, it's something that, you know, it's been interesting. We talk about career arc, where you see the differences in that uh, from be being at a huge company where I was at Arrow, mm -hmm. uh, $23 billion company, to uh, where I am now at a, a, a much smaller organization, you know, at OROC, where our, our focus is on uh, bringing hybrid cloud and infrastructure services to market as solutions. And so it's kind of a, it's an area that is uh, very much top of mind. Um, but when you're smaller, you don't have the same resources to work with. And, you, you know, your sales team needs different things than they do when you're in a large environment. So the contact there is really important too. That's exactly where my, my head went was the resources, because when you're working for a $23 billion company like Arrow, um, or even, I mean, where I am at OpenText, we're a pretty large company. Uh, we get a lot of resources to be able to uh, execute on the different things that, that we're graded on. But if you're at a smaller organization, um, I know you're at OROC and there's a lot of listeners out there that might be uh, single marketing um, employees at their organization. They don't necessarily have all those resources and you can contract that out. But what are some of the differences that you generally see working from us, uh, going from a large company to a small company? Are there any ways that you found to overcome some of those challenges, uh, including resource constraint? Yeah, I think so much of it comes back to planning and communication and alignment with your sales organization. Uh, you, when you're at a large organization, you sometimes forget uh, how much you're spending on certain things, and you kind of get. It's very easy to get caught up in trying to please everybody and just throwing money at things and throwing resources at things and not always knowing how they're performing or whether they're returning value or, uh, or ROI to the business. Um, in a smaller organization, you don't have that luxury, right? You, uh, your, your budgets tend to be smaller. Your, your cycle times can be longer depending on what you're selling. Um, and and you're often fighting different battles um, because you, you're going to be less well-known. Uh, you have to invest more in awareness. You have to build trust and, and get people to understand where you fit within the ecosystem that you're selling into, as opposed to at a large company where, you know, if you're a household name, you can focus on different things. So I think a lot of those 
those decisions and how you align those really come down to the communications and the planning that you do with your sales organization um, to and the tracking and the kind of the the understanding that you have of the results that you've gotten in the past um, and how those types of activities can be aligned to what your next uh, objectives are. If you're not if you're not aligned with sales and you're not aligned strategically with what's important to the business and what the near term and long term priorities are, then you end up just spending a lot of money uh, that goes into the wind and and you don't last very long in your role if you're doing that. Yeah, I think that's right. And I've also found that the more I understood the market, I know when we were at Emix Group together, that's one of the things that you stressed. And that's one of the things that uh, all the leadership stressed was understanding the market and what's happening, what's really driving uh, the sales within, within government IT, but then also the blocking and tackling that happens during the process. So understanding really where you can impact uh, decision-making from a marketing perspective, from a sales perspective, uh, to be able to make the largest impact. Is, is that still something that, uh, that you're seeing marketers understand, or do you feel like that's something that maybe there needs to be more of an education process there so they really understand wh- how to really navigate that sales process? I, well, I think it's an ongoing education process, right? Because of the fact that marketing is a cost center because, you know, it's very easy to spend money when you're in a marketing role. You, you and I both know how many vendors are out there that yeah. you know, are constantly, you know, uh, offering up new things that, and, and most of them sound really good, right? And uh-huh. it comes down to prioritization of where you're going to put your money. And, and it's, you know, some things are easier to track than others. Um, as you know very well, I, I know at Open Text you, uh, and, and in the past, you've always been a big proponent of tracking and calculating ROI and making sure that where you're spending money, you're getting a return for your organization on that. Well, you know, the old joke about marketing is I know that 50% of my marketing spend is working. I just don't know which 50%, right? <laughs> so um, if you're if you're not able to identify that, Uh, It makes it really hard to know what to continue to do, what you should stop doing and what you should start doing. And, and then when you, when you're engaging with sales, you know, everybody has their favorite activities. We've got to be at this trade show. We've, we've got to be part of this special initiative that's going on. We've got to be engaged with this association. And, and there's no, not necessarily a wrong answer in there, but in a lot of cases, it comes down to what's the best use of the resources and, uh, the best alignment with where the company is now, where the strategy is now, and where it's going, and how am I going to be able to capture uh, reporting and tracking and metrics, and how am I going to be able to demonstrate back to to both executives as well as sales leadership and, and the sales teams that it was a worthwhile investment and it's something that uh, was money well spent. And so if you're not thinking about those things and, con- and to your point, Brian, constantly kind of educating and training about new things that are coming out. I know at MX Group, you were always a pioneer when we worked together. And, and I know you've done it now at OpenText of trying new things. Like what's next on the truck? What, what can we try? What can we put out there that we haven't done before and, and fail fast and, you know, see what sticks? And I hate to use all these, uh, <laughs> and, you know, corporate jargon, but there's a lot of truth to that, that... Mm-hmm. What, what worked yesterday and what worked last year or three years ago is not necessarily going to work 
tomorrow. And we've certainly seen that in the challenging times that we're in right now and the way that those have kind of turned marketing on its head. I think some of the, we touched on large versus small companies. And I think another thing that those at a smaller company can, can do is really embrace the fact that they're in a small company, understand the challenges that come working with a large company. And what, even though you don't have the, all the resources perhaps to bring to bear at a smaller company, what you do have is more agility. So when you're, I mean, you know, this, you have a marketing campaign at, at a large company with a lot of pieces attached to it. If you want to pivot that, it's like turning a cruise ship. It's going to take a little while and it's going to take a lot of process and, uh, and perhaps a, a lot of money to do that. But if you're at a smaller company, you have a little bit more agility to, uh, in real time, do some analysis and say, you know what, this isn't working here and here. We should realign some of our budget to go after some of the things that are working. And that's not something you can always do um, agilely at a, at a large company, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I think I know a lot of your listeners are probably earlier in their careers, which is great that they're kind of using vehicles like this to learn more. Um, you know, I think you do get at a bigger company, you tend to get great training, you tend to really get to see cutting edge um, opportunities and programs and, you know, everything gets run through machines uh, in terms of branding and messaging and legal sign offs. And, you know, you have the ability to, to leverage that capital, that investment and, and spend on things that you probably wouldn't have the opportunity to try uh, at a smaller organization, but you're right. It, it's harder to pivot. Uh, the demands can be higher. Um, and it, it just takes longer to get those things going and to change them when they are going where at a smaller company, um, you may not have as many things to, uh, to try, or you may not have the resources to try a lot of new things, but that also can breed a lot more, um, flexibility and more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess it, it Sometimes you, you kind of learn more by getting your hands dirty and adjusting on the fly and doing more guerrilla tactics. And it forces you to prioritize and it forces you to look at what's really working because you can't do everything, right? And I think that's a great learning experience to get. Uh, it also can make life really interesting and exciting because uh, at those smaller organizations, you tend to be in the driver's seat more where you you're not just handing something off to another department to run with. You may be doing planning and execution and you may have to learn on the fly before you do something. And uh, so, so you can get a lot of great learning and try a lot of different things in both environments. It just really, it, it depends on what you're comfortable with and what you're looking for. And it's a lot of fun, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's not fun, then what's the point, right? Well, and so, so we talked about, we talked about resource constraint and, uh, that kind of begs the question, right? So how, if I am constrained, how can I help shift some of that load? Um, and in government, obviously the channel is a great way to do that. You can scale out workforce, you can scale out marketing efforts, um, you can get your brand out there a little bit more. Uh, so for those that are are not familiar with, um, with channel marketing, why don't you give a quick overview of that and, and some of the ways you've seen some value come from, from leveraging partners? Yeah, I think the way to look at the channel is uh, is is kind of a distributed sales force. It's a uh, it's a route to market that you can use to 
uh, build upon your own resources and to get really more feet on the street and more people with customer relationships and with specific sets of expertise out in the market talking to their customers and bringing your products or services into those conversations, right? There's, uh, there are no, there are very few organizations that can be in front of every customer anytime they want to be with every product or service, right? There's just too many. The sales cycles in our markets are just too long and too complicated. And, and nobody has all that expertise and, and, and the time required to do that. Um, so the channel is kind of that, that outsourced group, if you will, that enables you to see more people, get your message out to more people, be considered more frequently when a customer is, um, is nearing the point where they want to uh, try something, learn about something new, buy something new, maybe integrate it into a solution that they already have, improve upon something that they already have. You, you find that companies in the channel um, tend to have those really deep customer relationships. Uh, they're, they're transacting and talking to and engaging with uh, customers and customers more frequently. Um, and so they kind of have that inside knowledge and they have that level of trust, which is so important that uh, if I am a, uh, a managed uh, software, I'm sorry, an MSSP and I provide uh, managed security services uh, to a customer and I'm in there and I'm, you know, managing their security and, and monitoring their tools and their environments. I'm in a great position to come in and say, hey, you know, we're having a problem over here um, and we know of a tool that will actually fix this problem and it will work really well with everything that's being used in this environment. And, and it just kind of puts you in a position uh, as a seller to leverage that in-depth knowledge and those relationships to to kind of get in inside the door in a way that you wouldn't be able to do from a field sales perspective. Yeah, to me, I'm I'm looking at some of the way government's buying right now too, and they're really looking to consolidate into uh, more singular vendors. So as you're building out strategy around that, uh, to me, the the channel is the first place to go. Whether it's a whether it's a, uh, a solutions partner or a GSI. Uh, that does exactly what you just said. They're having these conversations on a regular basis with uh, your government customers, and they can they can then bring to bear uh, your solutions to solve their challenges um, and and really scale out that sales force and touch uh, agencies and customers that you never would have even reached. So I think it's a great way to scale it out. And for those marketers out there that uh, perhaps they're new to the channel. Um, and haven't built strategy around it, uh, where would you tell them to start? I would start with sales. I, I would start with, well, depending on your organization, how big it is, sometimes your sales organization may be driving the partner relationships or the channel relationships. Uh, sometimes it's driven by a channel sales or a, a channel management organization. Um, sometimes it lives in marketing. So it, it's really going to depend on the organization. I think you know, for, from a government perspective, there, there's so much complexity in the market around contracts and the acquisition process and the importance of past performance, right? So you want to make sure that you're working with channel partners that have relationships, that have contract vehicles that fit with the customers that you're either selling to now or trying to sell to. You want to understand if your channel partners have 
uh, have the right skill sets and the right product mix themselves uh, to be able to fit what you're selling into uh, what the solutions that they're bringing to market. And that they really that you're going to be important to them. Um, if you think about how the channel works and, and when we talk about the channel, you know, it could be a distributor, it could be a value-added reseller or VAR, it could be a managed service provider or a, just a solution provider or a systems integrator, as you mentioned. There's a huge range of, of those organizations that, you know, all the way up to the, the huge SIs that do billions of dollars in government have very, very deep benches of people and deep technical expertise down to, you know, the other end of the spectrum, somebody who may have worked within um, a government agency or may have maybe retired from the military um, and then decided a couple of years later to go back and set up shop and kind of leverage their knowledge and their relationships to bring more value back into those organizations. Um, so it could be a one-man person or one-man shop, or it could be a very small team, or it could be somewhere in between. Um, it's really about understanding what do they sell, what is, what is their expertise, who is the customer base that they are working with, and are they going to position your solution in such a way that you're going to get more attention and more mind share and that it's going to grow revenue? Yeah, one of the words you used in there that I think is key is relationship. I think having the the relationship with the partner who then yeah. has the relationship with the customer is really the catalyst to drive business. And and one thing I want to add to that because everything you just said is absolutely right. I think another component to marketing to the channel is enabling the channel. So when you've established those relationships, make sure you have that constant cadence with them uh, and you're educating them on whether it's your roadmap or things that you want to be doing from a business perspective so they can build on that uh, and really drive business forward. You have to look at the channel, you know, almost the way you would look at a retail operation where depending on the partner, depending on what their expertise is, they're going to have certain levels of expertise and knowledge and, and skill sets around certain areas, but they're never going to know your product as well as you know your product unless it's the only thing they're selling. Um, a lot of these organizations will sell, you know, tens, dozens, uh, you know, hundreds of brands or, or more that they're representing. And so they'll know something about them, but it's really incumbent upon uh, the organization, uh, you know, if you're working for an ISV or for a, an OEM, an original equipment manufacturer, that you're educating and enabling and teaching that channel organization where your solutions fit, what other environments they work with, what products they play well with, where they compete with others, what the features and benefits are. Ultimately, you're trying to uh, enable those organizations to be as successful as your own team would be, but you have to always remember that they have other things that they're selling and other priorities, and they're going to drift towards where they're, they have the biggest opportunity for revenue and profitability. So if you're not enabling them, you're not building relationships, you're not keeping their attention, we, we call this marketing to the partners, um, then you're quickly going to fade and you're just going to be a, another item on the line card that they sell. And, you know, maybe if somebody asks for your solution, they'll bring it forward, but they won't necessarily be pushing it or or proactively trying to sell it. So it's really kind of striking that balance between training, marketing to, 
supporting the partners so that they can be successful in bringing your, your items to market. I also think another value that the channel brings, and we mentioned scaling your sales force is going to be incredibly important right now. We, we mentioned, and I know you mentioned earlier, uh, we're coming out of the back end of this COVID-19 pandemic and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we need to be able to scale at that workforce because I think there's a lot of opportunity out there for small, medium, and large, uh, technology companies. So you need to be able to leverage the channel to scale out your workforce as you're, as you're looking at this and kind of seeing what's happened, um, in pre COVID, uh, in the middle and now kind of what it's looking like, uh, moving forward and where predictions are, what's been some of the things that have surprised you, uh, from not only just from a marketing perspective, but maybe from a government IT perspective as well. Boy, what hasn't surprised me? Um, I mean, there's, it's just such an unprecedented time. And, um, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to my colleagues in, in the government marketing world in particular, where events, live events have been so critical to everybody's uh, marketing plans. And, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80% for some people of their marketing spend goes to live events in the government space. They're just so important. And I've been impressed with how quickly people have pivoted to virtual events um, and really pivoted their strategies to, to do more digital uh, and to try to get creative, to find new creative ways to, to reach uh, both government customers as well as engage with partners. Um, I, I think it's a little more challenging for us in the government world because there's, there's a lot of things we can't do, right? I was on a... Uh, I was on a webinar with a kind of a CMO audience talking about strategies and how they've changed. And uh, this was a B2B audience and somebody was talking about a, a great event they did where they hired a celebrity bartender to come online to do a webinar. Um, and the first half hour of the webinar was teaching you how to make drinks. And they took their top target accounts and they sent them each a a box of different liquor uh, bottles and mixers and you know glasses and said, hey, get online at two o'clock and we're going to have a celebrity bartender uh, walk you through what's in the box and teach you how to make drinks. And then we're going to spend the last half an hour talking about our solution, right? Really creative. It's not something we can do in the government world. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so Must be nice. It's been a challenge, I think, for both the the marketers and the vendors that are out there, the, the media companies and, and companies that are selling to us um, to come up with new and creative ways uh, to go to market and get people's attention. And, and it's been so challenging because everybody moved to digital so quickly, uh, which is good, but then the digital channels got really clogged, right? And it's hard to, to open my inbox now without being invited to, you know, 10 to 15 different webinars a day. And a lot of them sound really compelling and are really things that I want to participate in, but there's just not enough hours in the day. So, you know, I think it's, it's really incumbent upon marketers to find ways to, to stand out when they're doing those things and to leverage the, the online channels, the, the always on nature of content marketing um, to make sure that when your audience is looking for things, you know, maybe they've, they put the kids to bed uh, or, you know, they, they just help their, I guess we're in summer now, so it's not as much of an issue now, but a month or two ago, you know, helping your kid with homework because school is closed 
and, and time shifting. So maybe you've got to watch or read stuff after hours, right? So I think we've done a, a an admirable job uh, as an organization or as a, a community, just bringing forward new ideas around things like that. And it, it's been really interesting to see, um, you know, some of the surveys and things that I've seen about how people in government are consuming content differently and where they're getting their information from differently. It's just interesting to see how that's developed. Yeah, I would agree. And I know earlier this year, you and I were on a panel uh, talking about digital marketing and there were some really innovative things that came out of it. And one of the things we talked about is how it is just a digital world. So for starters, it, not even calling it digital marketing um, as we proceeded, it's just marketing in, the, in this sense. But uh, I think COVID-19 has really tested that. Um, but one of, the, one of the benefits I think out of that is before virtual off perhaps because they weren't as accepted because people had to go to live events. They didn't always have time for the virtual webinars or different type of events out there. I think because there's more exception now to uh, to being able to do more digital uh, creative things um, that you're seeing a lot of innovation, uh, which is exciting to me. I think you can try new things. Um, you can leverage new technologies as you're trying to deploy some of these marketing messages that you have and reach your customers. And we're in a period of time where you can really try anything, honestly. Mm -hmm. So... You can try anything as long as it doesn't involve standing in front of somebody and shaking their hand, right? Exactly. <laughs> so this doesn't surprise me. Um, we're we're coming coming up on time, and it's it's felt like five minutes because talking to you is easy, and I appreciate all the value that you've brought to the audience today. But um, any but, final thoughts you wanted to leave uh, our listeners with? Uh, yeah, you know, it's this is it's interesting times we're in. Um, I think, you know, you were spot on with what you were saying a minute ago. There's so many new things that we can be trying. There's so many things to test. Digital is is an area that's got to be a part of everybody's toolkit. Uh, and, and really, you know, I encourage everybody, no matter where you are in your career, um, use the time that you have now to go out and learn new things. You know, I've, uh, since we went under COVID lockdown, I have picked up four different digital marketing certifications that I didn't spend any money on. They were just, you know, programs that I found online through Google, through uh, demand base for account-based marketing, um, HubSpot inbound marketing certification. There's so much to learn about this emerging world and uh, it changes so quickly that I definitely recommend that everybody, you know, use the time that you have to pick up some new skills um, and find ways to bring those into your day-to-day -day life and, and just try to test new things. Even, even if it's at a very small scale level, just try to test what you can test um, and make sure that you are constantly engaging with your sales organization. You're aligning and communicating with them uh, and you're focused on what you guys need to do differently as a unit, as an organization to be successful as we move forward. I think that's really great advice. Thanks again for joining the show, Alan. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Brian. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ChittisterAB. Stay safe, guys. Bye for now.